From Upstate Medical University in Syracuse, New York, I'm Amber Smith. This is HealthLink on Air. Some medical practices were experimenting with virtual medical visits as a convenience before the pandemic, but the pandemic has accelerated the use of virtual medical visits out of necessity. Here to talk about this trend and its effect on the doctor-patient relationship is Dr. Caitlin Scarlett. She's a pediatric rheumatologist who also has a role as an information technology physician at Upstate. Welcome back to HealthLink on Air, Dr. Scarlett. Thank you so much for having me, Amber. Well, let's let's begin with the definition for what counts as a virtual medical visit. Sure. So a virtual visit is basically a visit where the provider is not physically in the same room with the patient. So these visits can happen, you know, in our own hospital, in our emergency department, but they often also happen in the ambulatory world where the physician will be in their clinic or even in their home and the patient will be in their homes. So I know that the stroke experts at Upstate, for instance, have offered, they've been able to consult virtually with um, patients that are in rural outlying hospitals for a while now. So that's that was sort of a predecessor to this, right? Exactly. So let's go back to March of, uh, of 2020 when the pandemic started and everything struck. So here at Upstate, we actually had already established a telemedicine committee that you know had been meeting for many years and they're the ones that set up um, those smaller areas that were using telemedicine, but they were basically in the process of looking at um, what our institution needed as a solution for, um, uh, for an integrated system with Epic, which is our EMR. So they were already in the process of looking at all of this um, technology. And then boom, you know, right in the middle of March, the pandemic struck and our IT department had to quickly, I mean, quickly come up with a solution for all of our providers so they can see patients in some kind of way. And I just have to applaud them because within a couple of days, actually over a weekend, they came up with the solution for every provider to have uh, the platform that, you know, they initially came up with was WebEx, to e that everybody would have a WebEx account and they could reach out to these to their patients this way. So it was a lot of work. Um, and then, you know, the uh, telemedicine technology had to be uh, communicated um, to all the physicians, the physicians and other providers had to be taught how to use it. And then workflows had to be developed to um, reach out to the patient, teach the patient how to use these tools and, um, and templates had to be changed for this to all start. So it was a lot of work, um, but you know, it caught on very quickly. Actually, um, I have the statistic that after two weeks of our providers going on telemedicine, our numbers of telemedicine visits went up from 10 to over 6,000. So that's pretty remarkable. Wow. Now you mentioned EMR, that's the electronic medical record. The patient doesn't really have to worry about that part of it. I mean, that's something the physician will be integrating that, the information from the visit into the electronic medical record, right? Absolutely. So our um, the way that most of our providers currently are using telemedicine is they're using the WebEx platform, which is outside our EMR, or there's actually a couple different apps that are very useful. One is called Doximity, one is called Doxy.me that sometimes are, um, are easier to use than the WebEx application. And then the provider will enter the information in our 
electronic medical record, which is called EPIC. Now, our um, IT department, of course, is currently working on finding an integrated solution as well, but for the time being, um, they've secured licenses for those other two apps, and we have the WebEx solution as well. The patients, they really only need to have either a working computer, a working tablet, or a smartphone in order to connect with the audiovisual telemedicine visits. Um, and I just want to point out that telemedicine visits, there are two types. There's a telephone telemedicine encounter that providers can use. Um, if there's a problem with technology or you don't think that you need to use the, um, you know, the video visual component, and then there's the audio visual telemedicine encounter. So sometimes we do struggle with patient technology, especially in certain populations, um, you know, older patients that they might not have the smart devices and then a telephone encounter would be used to connect with that patient. And that actually happens in all honesty on a daily basis. You know, I'll be doing my tele, uh, telemedicine visits and either on the patient's end, you know, they're not able to connect. Sometimes it's their Wi-Fi, sometimes it's their device. Um, and then I've had a couple of times where it's been on our end, whether I'm here, you know, in my clinic as I am today or whether I'm at my house. So we um, try to be flexible and that's what we try to teach and communicate to our providers. And sometimes if one application isn't working, a different application will work, such as um, Doximity or Doxy.me. Um, some providers even use FaceTime, but it's not HIPAA compliant. So we try to um, steer towards those other applications. I'm glad you mentioned HIPAA because my next question uh, was going to be about how we make sure that this visit is indeed private. So, uh, you know, we hear about all of these hacks and, and things. I mean, how do you reassure patients that it's just you and them? Well, um, a couple of the things are the applications that um, we um, kind of encourage providers to use. So WebEx, Doximity, or Doxy.me, they're all secure. Um, they have secure rooms, um, so nobody can come into the room, such as you've probably heard on Zoom and, um, you know, different um, applications like that. And we educate. So um, our front desk staff, at least here in my clinic, and every clinic has a different workflow, will contact the patient prior to the day of visit and review, you know, what should what should happen, what should be prepared for the visit. Uh, the patient should be in a private setting that, you know, um, it, you know, at their wishes, if in their house or in a separate room, if it's just going to be, um, you know, the patient and the doctor and they don't want their family members to overhear the conversation. And the same thing on the provider's end, you know, we know, um, you know, under our medical license that you, we need to be the only ones here meeting with the patients. This is Upstate's HealthLink on Air. I'm your host, Amber Smith, talking with Dr. Caitlin Scarlett. She's an information technology physician at Upstate, and we're talking about virtual medical visits. So which specialties do you believe lend themselves well to the virtual appointments? And, and are there some that really need to be done in person? Absolutely. Um, there are some specialties that seem to be flying very high with the telemedicine encounters. Some of those specialties are um, things like psychology visits or psychiatry visits, or um, you mentioned I do pediatric rheumatology. I also do pediatric integrative medicine, and the integrative medicine visits have been going very well on telemedicine. Um, though, of course, there's other specialties and subspecialties that it's very, very hard to, to do these telemedicine um, encounters. Um, going back to what I just said, I'm a pediatric rheumatologist and 
you know, as a rheumatologist, sometimes we need to put our hands on our patients' bodies, on their joints, on their extremities. We need to look for the very, very subtle clues that their disease might be flaring, such, such as juvenile idiopathic arthritis or um, pediatric dermatomyositis or systemic lupus. So, um, so sometimes these visits don't lend well to our patients who might be in trouble having acute flares of their diseases. Now, um, among all subspecialties, I have a feeling that if the patient is pretty stable, you know, with whatever condition they have, the telemedicine visit is okay, you know, at least for now. Um, and we, you know, we collect different information with our patients depending on, you know, why we're seeing the patient. So sometimes I'll have my patient's parent weigh, you know, my patient. Sometimes I'll have the parent take the temperature. Uh, sometimes I'll have the parent take um, uh, the heart rate. I'll teach them how to do that and they'll take it. And um, here in our clinic, um, where I am right now, I share space with our pediatric nephrologists. And what they've been doing is um, teaching the parents, having the parent and the patient come in when it's safe, teaching the parent how to obtain a blood pressure and then sending them home and having the parent do the monitoring. So there's a lot of you know, different tricks and tips that you could use. We've been getting very creative. I know I'm not the only provider who's been getting creative in um, monitoring our patients. Um, but you know, at least it's at least it's something. At least we're connecting, which is fantastic given the current pandemic. Do you have a sense for how patients are responding to these virtual visits? It, I mean, do they do they like them? Yeah, well, I see both sides of it. I have some love them and some don't like them. So a lot of my patients who um, I've been following for quite some time absolutely love them. They love just connecting, you know, even if it's just seeing me on a screen or hearing my voice. Um, you know, it's helping, it's adding to their stability, um, you know, so, so that's a very good thing. I have patients that sometimes drive up to four hours to see me. Those patients also have been loving the virtual visits because they don't have to waste their day driving all the way down to Syracuse. So that's fantastic too. I have other patients that struggle with the technology. So, um, you know, they might have a smartphone, but they, they don't really know how to connect it to Wi-Fi or um, or, you know, click on the application and go through all the steps. And I've heard from some of my colleagues that their patients that are older, elderly, also struggle with how to do all of this, how to connect with the telemedicine visit, even though somebody from that provider's office is calling them and kind of taking them step by step. So I think it just depends on the patient. So it's both good and bad that we're seeing. Well, how do you think the doctor-patient relationship is impacted by not being in person. And I wonder too, I mean, this has happened during a crisis um, that hopefully will end, um, but is there, I don't know, damage being done now? I think there's damage if you're not connecting. So if you're not connecting with your provider, if your provider's office isn't offering these telemedicine visits, whether it's the phone visit or the video visit, if the patient is just cut off from the doctor, I think that relationship greatly suffers. Um, with doing these visits, I think you're keeping that connection together. So that's that's a wonderful thing for you know the patient provider um, partnership basically is what it is. Though I do have to add that um, having a patient in the room with the provider, I think that connection is the most ideal because you're you're seeing them face to face, you're feeling their energy, they're feeling your energy. Sometimes just that connection of being in the room 
you know, different things happen. Maybe the patient will reveal other problems. Maybe the provider will sense that that patient is going through something else that wouldn't come across through the video. So, um, so I do think that, you know, of course, it's ideal to have in-person visits, but like you just said, this is a, a very hard time and um, I think we're doing the best we can. Do you think once the pandemic's over that we'll go back to regular in-person visits for most things, or do you think there'll still be a place for the virtual visit? Oh, I absolutely think that telemedicine is sticking around. Um, I, you know, there are going to be many, many providers who will go right back to in-person visits, including myself, but I think it might in many areas be a combination of both for those reasons that we mentioned previously, that some of the patients drive very far, some of the patients have chronic conditions, though they might be stable, so they might want to, you know, do an every other, maybe a telemedicine visit and then, you know, an in-person visit for the next check. Um, I think the providers have gotten very comfortable with the telemedicine technology. So I think, you know, it's here. I, and I think it's a good thing that that it's here. Well, there's a growing number of electronic monitoring types of tools and apps, uh, which patients can buy and use on their own. I wanted to ask how you feel about those. Well, I think they're wonderful for the most part, um, keeping track of exercise or energy expenditure, um, heart rate variability. I think that's all wonderful. And they're just more tools to put in your toolbox of health. Um, but the bottom line is, I do. I think that they are not a replacement for a provider. They're not a replacement for a physician. So, you know, you still need to make your appointments. Let me ask, since you're a pediatric rheumatologist, do you feel like children have been more receptive to the virtual visit than older people? I think they have. Um, and, you know, we're in a different world right now. Our kids, our patients, my own children, they're used to screens, unfortunately, and we try to limit it, but, you know, it's their world. And now with the majority of them doing virtual learning, it's even more their world. They're very comfortable with the technology. It's actually amazing how comfortable they are with the technology. Um, and they seem very receptive to it. There's something about the telemedicine, you know, it's a different platform um, other than, you know, Zoom or Google Meets or, you know, GoToMeeting. We're using different um, platforms, but they're very similar. And it seems like it's second nature to them to be talking to, you know, to me as their provider um, over their smartphone, which is very interesting. Um, yeah, I think that I've seen, um, you know, the elderly population struggle with it. I've heard from colleagues that even um, you know, some adults, you know, they know that this is what it is and they do it, but um, they're not as comfortable as, you know, our pediatric patients. Thank you to Dr. Caitlin Scarlett. She's a pediatric rheumatologist who also serves as an information technology physician at Upstate. I'm Amber Smith for Upstate's podcast and talk show, HealthLink on Air.